The following is an exclusive presentation of Pirate Radio, the voice of the Pirate Nation. Welcome to the Pirate Radio Podcast, featuring special guests discussing a wide range of topics and personal stories. Now, inside the Pirate Radio studio, here's your host, Jonathan Ellerby. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Pirate Radio Podcast. Everyone has a story about the path that led them to East Carolina University and their love of ECU football. And today, I'm going to go one-on-one with the man that has been watching East Carolina football play for over 60 years. We'll discuss the early days, the good old days, recent teams, and the state of where we are today. Before we begin, let me give you a little background on my guest, because I know him very well. And as a matter of fact, I've known him my whole life, because he's my dad, James Nicholson Ellerby, or Nicky as most know him. My dad was born in 1937 and grew up in the football-crazed area of Rockingham, North Carolina. As you will hear, my dad attended his first ECU game in the mid-50s and became hooked instantly on both the games and the social aspect that comes along with pirate football. My dad met my mother, Mary Ann, at ECU, and they both have been season ticket holders and Pirate Club members since 1971. That's close to 50 years if you're keeping score. Growing up and to this day, my dad's recollection of ECU football games, coaches, and players is amazing. The moments he can recall about being in Greenville, Raleigh, Tallahassee, Memphis, or wherever will make you realize how impactful the experiences of being around Pirate football can have on one person. As many ECU fans know, it's never easy being a Pirate, but there sure are a lot of opportunities to have some fun along the way. There have been plenty of high moments and less than positive moments, but imagine if you had over 60 years of this. Well, stay tuned because we're about to head down ECU football memory lane on the Pirate Radio podcast with my dad, Nicky Ellerby, and it starts right now. All right, welcome into the radio podcast. Very special guest joining me today and excited to talk East Carolina football with uh, one of the biggest Pirate fans I know and a guy that's been to games for over 60 years. He's the one and only Nicky Ellerby, who is my father, who uh, got me hooked on East Carolina football. And uh, Dad, first of all, welcome to the radio podcast. Uh, Thanks for joining me today. Thanks. I appreciate it. it's nice, nice to be here. Well, it's good to be here as always. I, I wanted to talk to you because uh, you've seen East Carolina football evolve from since 1959 when you really started at ECU to today where we are, and uh, things obviously have changed so much. And the the path of East Carolina football and East Carolina athletics has uh, you know been on an interesting road. And uh, I thought you could add some perspective but uh let's start at the beginning what was your first experience or why did you choose east carolina and uh how did you fall in love with east carolina football uh i first made some visits to east carolina back during the 50s and uh i think it was 1956 i went to a game homecoming and i I was uh, really taken in by homecoming. Uh, everything, it wasn't so much about the football game. It was all social then. So, so to uh, describe what, 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 what stands out in your mind in 1956 to a young Nicky Ellerby that uh, sucked you in like a vacuum? Well, uh, everybody was having a beverage or two and <laughs> I was taken in by the social life. And of course, I enjoyed uh, 
I still enjoy watching the games. But uh, I think about the only game that was a sellout was usually homecoming and or when they played Lenore Ryan, uh, who was the arch rival when Coach Stass was coaching uh, Lenore Ryan. They were always good. But uh, I went to several games, visits down, and uh, I went to Wingate Junior College, uh, 57, 59, and finished in 59 and transferred to East Carolina. And my first recollection of a big game at East Carolina, this was in the game, the stadium was on campus then. And it was just a bleacher on one side and a bleacher on the other side. Now, when you say the stadium was on campus, it's not at its current location? Oh, no. Where, where was this location? It was uh, down, uh, let me see, the campus has changed so much. Uh, like near 10th Street, somewhere in that area? Like where, near like the well, main it was, campus? It was, where, and the baseball field was right beside it. Uh, it's hard to describe. Down, be, down below where the old student union was. It was down in that section. All right. Well, we'll come back. We're, we'll okay. try to get some more specifics of where this uh, was. So this is your this is the recollection of your first game, right? And uh, the game was played in a uh, rain sleet type atmosphere. Uh, it came down to the wire. Uh, East Carolina went ahead, and I was trying to find my annual from that year. To I cannot recollect the score. But we went ahead there at the end, and of course Lenore Ryan came back, and they had a big, big tailback who was a great ball player, and he took them all the way down to the other end of the field there at the end of the game, and uh, we stopped them on about the five yard line, and uh, uh, this is when both teams. They filmed the games in. Both teams uh, inconveniently ran out of film. And uh, the whole ending of the game was up in the air, to be honest with you. Uh, but they uh, they were on about the five-yard line. And this the, the, the tailback, I believe it was Farmer, uh, was his name. And uh, he took the ball and started running and was trapped and was in the backfield running back and forth trying to break through and uh, he was trapped and he took the ball and they were tackling him and he was really uh, had his back to the goal goal line and threw the ball back over the top of his head and a player a Lenore Ryan player caught it in the end zone and they declared them winners but you uh, you talk about the guy that caught the ball was a defensive tackle, I mean an offensive tackle, and uh, that that jeopardized the ending uh, for Lenore Ryan, but it was never changed. Some controversy, huh? Yeah, controversy. Uh, it was a tough finish. Uh, uh, coach Boone, Jack Boone, was the coach. And I had a PE class under him later, and he was a super nice guy. 
deserved better records than than he achieved. I'll be I'll be honest with you. Uh, he was an offensive genius, and when Ed Emery became coach in uh, nineteen eighty, uh, he picked Jack Boone to be his uh, quarterback coach. Uh, that's that shows you the respect the players had for it. So uh, your first experience at an East Carolina football game was the, the, the tough life of a pirate. The, the ball gets thrown over the back of the head, and Lenore Ryan wins in a controversial game. So uh, what, 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 what ex- how, how from there, how did uh, from, from 1959 as the 60s they begin to play football, did, did it become such a tradition for you that game days were just, just meant for you to be there? Oh, uh, it it changed a lot. It changed big time, and the the one game that changed it was when we played uh, Wake Forest in our current stadium in 1963, and we beat Wake Forest 20 to 10. Uh, that's when uh, Brian Piccolo was the big running back, and uh, John Makovic was the ca- uh, quarterback, and. Uh, we beat them, and uh, uh, that kind of took a lot of pressure off of us as as we played the ACC. Uh, Why was it so big? Was it because it was the, the first ACC win or just East Carolina always battling for respect? Always battling for respect and still are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what changed after that that win? What what in your regulation after they beat Wake Forest? What what do you feel like the East Carolina program went on from there? Uh, our whole attitude about football changed. Uh, I think that was probably the first really big sellout that we had. I was in the army then and not on campus, and I I did go down that weekend to see that game. Uh, I was stationed in Virginia. But uh, I think that that one game changed our perspective. And, of course, there was another game that changed our attitude about uh, football also, and that was the first time we beat NC State. What year was that? Let's just talk about Uh, that game. That was 1970. So uh, was there a lot of buildup for that game? Uh, give us the history for some East Carolina fans. Uh, how many times that do you think East Carolina had played State before, before the first win? Uh, well, well, the first time we played them, 1970, they beat us. And then we came back the next year and beat them the first year, 1971. Uh, that changed our whole attitude about football. Uh we we started believing, hey, we can do this. We can play the big time football. Uh, we had always been thinking uh, small conference. We were in the old, the old North State Conference when we played on campus. Uh, we rarely had a sellout uh, homecoming usually, and when we uh, played Lenore Ryan, but. Uh, and we could most games on campus you could have set on we could all set on one row uh the most times there were more people on the field than there were in the stands what do you remember most about that first victory over nc state in 1971 uh well of course there were more state people there and uh and i'll be honest we i went with the lackadaisical uh, attitude uh, uh, good game we'll have a good 
time and have a few drinks and it'll be it'll be great we're playing in a real nice stadium <laughs> uh and surprise surprise nobody told the players we were gonna lose we beat them we beat them handedly uh it could have been a lot worse than it was uh i and like everybody else i was shocked the, the the rivalry with NC State has always been there and, and been an interesting one. And uh, I remember going to games at Carter Friendly Stadium, of course, um, and, and the last game when it got ended uh, with the fence and all the other stuff. What is your perspective of uh, East Carolina versus NC State and uh, where it was as it developed and where it is now? Uh, I don't think they ever gave us credit. Uh, uh, for being uh, a big time program all we did the one thing they liked we brought the fans uh, I think that they put a quarantine on us for 10,000 fans and we usually had more than that there uh, it was a, a, a sellout game it became a sellout game a big time game every game uh I, I don't think they ever gave us credit and uh, I'll be honest with you uh, some of our own fans including me didn't give our teams the credit they deserve uh, we started hiring better coaches uh, we put more money into the program and we had a chancellor that believed in big time sports and that was uh, Dr. Leo Jenkins and uh, I don't think enough credit has ever been given to Dr. Jenkins for all he did to East Carolina. He changed our whole uh, outlook on life about uh, where we are and where we should be. Uh, uh, we could be big time, and we became big time. As I remember as a kid, there was at one point uh, you, you you banned yourself from going to Carter-Finley Stadium. It was a self-imposed ban that you would not go back in the stadium. You would stand in the parking lot and listen to the game. But you, you, you were, uh, why were you angry and uh, self-imposing yourself not to go inside the stadium at Carter-Finley? I don't know. I thought the state people, uh, and I've got a lot of state fans uh, that are friends, and I, I still do, and I understand where they're coming from. I know we had some teams we looked down on, but uh, uh, you know, I always felt like they were looking down on us, never giving us credit. Uh, uh, we were bringing the fans. We did everything they asked us to do, and they had one little incident. Uh, uh, the one thing that uh, uh, with our fans running on the field after the game. And uh, I, I know they got really upset about that. But the people that caused all the problems and the one guy they <laughs> arrested that had a, a purple shirt on was a Broughton graduate with a high school shirt on. And uh, they, never, they did not arrest any East Carolina students. Uh, we didn't do anything. We ran on the field. That was it. We'll uh, get back to uh, that was the 87 game. We'll talk about the Peach Bowl uh, in a little bit. But uh, when you look at it, uh, living in Raleigh uh, a majority of your life, uh, when it comes down to Carolina and, and NC State, um, from your perspective, uh, 
who was it more important to beat uh, when they played on the football field? Uh, I really thought uh, playing NC State, they were the first to give us a break. I'll be honest with you, they were they were good about that. But it was a money game for them too. <laughs> it wasn't just us getting the money. Uh, they they were making money on that game too. Matter of fact, I think they got a bigger cut than they should have. <laughs> <laughs> Some behind the scenes stuff. Talking to my dad, Nikki Ellerby, on the Pirate Radio podcast. Want to go back to Greenville and to uh, Dowdy Ficklin Stadium. You mentioned uh, the win over Wake Forest uh, in in the stadium where it currently is. Tell me about. Uh, through your eyes, how Dowdy Ficklin Stadium has evolved from uh, where it is now today with the Town Bank Tower to where it was when you started going there for, for that Wake Forest game through the 70s, through the 80s, and through the 90s. Uh, so Some of the ways, just the, the, the transformation of the athletic complex that, that you go visit on Saturdays in the fall. Well, back then, I'll be honest with you, uh, our stadium was a glorified high school stadium. Uh, it, when you look at stadiums today in the 60s or the 70s in the early 60s uh, it was uh, it, for us that's all we needed at that time but we've outgrown that a long time ago and uh, during the 70s uh, we, put, we started putting more money in the stadium uh, selling our, our program and hiring better coaches uh, it just became a different, a whole diff- different atmosphere. Uh, the the first stadium, I think, uh, the highest ticket, uh, the Pirate Club was called the Old Century Club, and you paid a hundred dollars and you sat on the fifty yard line. Well, that's long gone now. <laughs> Uh, the the money has changed a lot since then. Do you remember how much you paid for the tickets early on when you started becoming a season oh, ticket holder? I've got some old ticket stubs here, two and three dollars. You know, for big time games. Uh, I look back when uh, we played like Southern Illinois and thought that was a huge game. Uh, thought that was a, a university that had about forty thousand students. But I didn't know they were drive-in students. And I thought that was a big-time pro- uh, program. And for us at that time, it it really was. Uh, it was a big-time program. And uh, we did something, uh, like I said, Leo, uh, Leo Jenkins was the, 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 the guy that started everything. Uh, he went out and hired our arch-rival coach, uh, Clarence Stasevich from Lenore Ryan and Coach Stas brought his, uh, a lot of his coaches and uh, we I never will forget going out in the spring of 1962 and watching them practice under Stas and it was a world of difference uh, he was a different kind of coach he was a, a hard disciplined coach and expected everything from his players. And uh, that next year, he got it. We, uh, we came out and played and went to a bowl game, 1963. I'll never forget that. Would you say that he kind of started really East Carolina football of ECU really being a football school? 
he started us uh, as a winning football team, I think, Con- uh, continuous winning. And uh, uh, we were uh, running the single wing. Matter of fact, I think we were the last major college to run the single wing, and we ran it to per- uh, perfection. Other coaches that stand out uh, over the course of time, um, my dad, who we're talking to, Nicky Ellerby, he's been watching East Carolina football since 1959. Uh, coaches besides Coach Stash that uh, really stood out to you that put their uh, print on uh, East Carolina football? Well, 1970, uh, uh, in 1969, Stash retired and became athletic director. And... Uh, uh, as after we had been to uh, two or three uh, Tangerine Bowls and won all three of them. Uh, in, in, in 1970, they, East Carolina, uh, along with Leo Jenkins and Coach Stass, who was the athletic director, they hired uh, Mike McGee, played at Duke. He became uh, our coach. And uh, he was there only once one season, but uh, in that season, he he changed our schedule. He started putting bigger teams on our schedule, and uh, uh, that was also the year of the Marshall game. I I had gone to Greenville uh, to watch that game, and was driving back to Raleigh after the game, and heard on the radio that their team plane they crashed uh that was uh, a, ba- a sad day f- for everybody what else do you remember about that for uh, the aftermath of uh, the marshall team well the one thing i think of uh although uh uh was coach uh mike mcgee had to go out to the holiday inn where some of the parents had driven down and was staying and he had to tell them about the plane crashing, and their kids were on the, that plane. I think about that a lot. Yeah, just a horrible moment in the in the history, and of course, the, this year the 50th anniversary. Hopefully, East Carolina and Marshall will uh, get to play a game maybe uh, later this year. But um, also looking at coaches, uh, a lot of people think of Pat Dye, and uh, what are your memories of uh, Pat Dye and uh, what he did to East Carolina football? Well. To start off with, after Mike McGee, they hired Sonny Randall. And Randall, (laughs) uh, he was a different kind of coach, too. He could really get the players fired up. I don't think he was that great a coach, but he got the players in believing in themselves. And uh, he did real good. We won the Southern Conference, something we had struggled to do. And... uh, we signed our first big-time player was Carl Esther Crumpler. And, uh, and through Dr. Jenkins, we're getting b- thinking bigger and bigger. Every coach we hire, every player we sign, they're getting better and better. And uh, our fans are getting more and more. And uh, our program is, is growing. And ECU football is becoming a program. It's becoming uh, something people are becoming engaged in and, and, and starting to follow and want to be a part of. And the media started picking up on that and was giving us a lot better coverage. Uh, 
after Randall ran and Randall stayed with us. We won the Southern Conference, and uh, suddenly he was hired by Virginia and left. And uh, uh, the the next coach we hired was uh, Pat Dye, nineteen seventy four, and I'll I'll never forget we had a party here in uh, Raleigh. Uh, to welcome the new coach and his staff, and uh, I met Pat Dye, Pat Dye it, it, in August of uh, 1974, and I'll never forget him. Uh, I immediately liked him, and he was old. Uh, uh, played at Georgia, all American at Georgia, and loved football. He he slept and eat ate football and uh had coached at alabama for 11 years under uh uh the big boy bear bryant <laughs> bear bryant <laughs> the big boy yeah. also known as bear bryant yeah and uh uh he he uh he loved football and uh he he practically got up and gave a little talk and said he was going to turn this program around and we're going to start uh, talking bigger foot, bigger, bigger time football. And uh, he had his. Uh, he was impressed with some of the players we had, and he, but he he did say we were going to need a lot more. And uh, his whole theme during the time he was here was uh, our players were just a bunch of little skinny leg boys uh, who loved to play football. And uh, he did. He did instill that in him. The uh, the next coach that uh, stands out is because you were friends with Ed Emery. You were you were college friends with Ed and uh, we're, 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 fraternity brothers. Right. Well, tell tell me uh, when Ed Emery was hired to be the football coach at East Carolina, what that moment was like for you to see one of your friends being able to have the opportunity to take over the program, and then uh, the years Ed was in charge. Well. Uh, it was funny, even before Pat Dye left, like December, and he'd already announced that he was leaving, uh, he was not really uh, uh, happy about the new chancellor we had at that time, and I I can't even think of his name. But uh, the, the whole thing about football was kind of uh, shaky grounds. But uh, I was driving down to Greenville from Raleigh and had just gone through Wilson going on 264. And this car passed me, and I looked, and it was Ed Emery. And I said, he's just going to interview for the coach's job. And uh, I, I hadn't even thought about him, be honest with you. And he said that was, I remember Ed telling me, he said, that was your first mistake, not thinking about me. Uh, Ed loved East Carolina. And he, Ed was, had been a little All-American in East Carolina. And he loved purple and gold. He loved East Carolina. And uh, uh, that was a plus from us uh, on the get-go. And uh, we did hire him. And... Uh, the first couple of seasons were not too good. And that's, I don't know what we were thinking about. 
we made two transitions where we didn't hit rock bottom and we were a little bit spoiled on that part but uh it took over and uh the uh, 81 season was fair uh we were like five and six and then the 82 season and show you how good uh what a great thinker ed was villanova dropped football ed was on the airplane that night flew up to Villanova and signed the bulk of their players. And the 82 team, uh, we had their, their quarterback, uh, two running backs, and two or three of their linemen, their best linemen. And uh, uh, the, as the, the 1983 team, these players really stood out. And uh, that's probably... Man for man, the best team we ever had. You're talking about the 1983 team that went, to, of course, famously eight and three, lost to all three major Florida schools: Miami, Florida State, and Florida. They were all in the top twenty. They they were incredible teams themselves, very talented teams. The the '83 team under Ed Emery. Uh, what what are some of your favorite memories of that season and that team? Well, that that uh, that like the '76 '77 team. Uh, we we beat NC State twice then, and in '83 we started off beating NC State, and it was a great game though. <laughs> and my favorite running back of uh, one of my favorite running backs of all time, Ernest Biner, fumbled. I remember that, <laughs> but uh, it, the way he ran the ball, it kept us in the game, and we won right there at the end. Uh, after struggling for two or three years trying to beat State. And then we played all three of the Florida teams. Uh, I know we opened up with Florida State and should have won that game. Uh, they, And I'll be honest with you, that you talk about home cooking. Back back then, They all, all these teams we played on the road had their own officials, their own conference officials, or their own set of uh, officials. And you know you're in trouble when they come, the officials run out on the field from their dressing room. <laughs> so, uh, did you was, go to any of those Florida games? Oh, yeah. I went to all three of them. So, you were at all three of them. So, yes. the, 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 the rumor was that, uh, was it the Miami game that we went to kick the winning field goal and, and they shot off a cannon or something? Yeah. Is that they true? They fired a cannon. And, uh, of course, that jarred our. Uh, kicker uh, but the 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 play that, that that cost us the game two of our receivers both of them wide open in the end zone hit ran into each other and dropped the ball and of course I think Miami won the national title that year in 1983 is, is I mean that's how great of a team that uh, Miami was playing in the old Orange Bowl yep I, I'll never forget that and then and also it, they had uh, the the guy coaching uh, Snellenberger. Snellenberger, yeah, I'm, I I remember him quite well. And then you had a story from the swamp. The wasn't Wilbur Marshall on the uh, yeah. on the Florida. You were at that game, and uh, there was there a late hit that wasn't well, called. He tackled uh, Kevin Ingram, our quarterback, uh, who ran the ball out of bounds and jumped over the bench, and uh, Marsh. Uh, 
Wilbur Marshall jumped over the bench, tackled him, and stood on top of him, shaking his finger in his face. And there was never a penalty call. But I, the, my favorite memory uh, uh, from the, the swamp, uh, when the game first started, now you're sitting in the alien stadium. I mean, they are rabid fans. And it might be the most rabid fans I've ever seen. Uh, we did something good on the field, and I stood up and clapped. And some old woman sitting behind me threw an empty beer can and hit me in the back of the head. And I didn't stand up anymore. <laughs> Did she have any words for you, or just yes, to- so, some unpleasant words, yeah. and not, nothing you want to talk about in Sunday school? So I guess you were literally gator bait at the oh, swamp Lord. that day. Uh, they were the most rabid fans I think I've, I've seen. When you say rabid, do you really mean rude? <laughs> rude uh, in the game, every play. I mean, they didn't miss a play, and I'm not talking about just the guys. I mean, women, old women, they are rabid fans. They really are. Back, we'll get to more fan experiences in a little bit, but uh, was 83 the year you went to Missouri and uh, the Pirates won? Yeah, I know we'll forget that. Uh, when we walked in the stadium, they had signs everywhere. Where in the hell is East Carolina? And <laughs> that after the game, of course, all our fans, and we had a lot of fans there. I couldn't believe it. Uh, we're running around saying, where in the hell is uh, Missouri? <laughs> <laughs> that was a fun win. Uh, one of the big things, the 83 team didn't get a bowl game, though. Uh, that was probably one of the most disappointing parts of uh, ECU history, of uh, how great that team was and uh, was left out of the postseason. Uh, I forgot how many of them signed with the NFL. I think it was a record. Well, I know it was a record for us. But at that time, I think it was the record for all schools. Uh, of course, that's, that has changed since then. Of course, uh, Ed Emery finished up uh, the next year, I believe, in 84 and got fired. And then uh, Art Baker took over, which led to Bill Lewis, which led to Steve Logan, which led to John Thompson. And uh, what are your recollection of uh, after Ed's football from uh, Art to uh, Bill to, to, to the Logan era? Well, uh, I think uh, we had an administration that uh, even during Ed's uh, last year uh, that didn't care much about having a big-time football, and they were kind of uh, taking the air out of the balloons, so to speak. Uh, They did a lot of things not to help Ed, and uh, uh, they didn't speak out when they should have uh, as far as the bold picture was in 83. I didn't think enough was done to help our team get a decent bowl or a bowl at all. Uh, there was just kind of a shaky period with the administration, and they hired, they uh, let Ed go, and uh, I thought that was a mistake. Nobody loved East Carolina any more than Ed. And, of course, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you, the 84 team was not not, not a good team. Uh, had a lot of player problems. But uh, they hired uh, Art Baker, and uh, Art was a good fella. 
good offensive mind. Uh, he had several teams, like the Citadel and Furman, that beat they beat NC State several times. Uh, uh, he was a good coach, a good fella, but uh, not a not a, I don't think a, a, a big time head coach. Uh, just he might have been too nice a fella, and I'll be honest with you. He probably recruited the best team we ever had. And, of course, you know that was the 91 team. Yeah, let's uh, jump ahead to Bill Lewis. What were your first impressions of uh, Bill Lewis when he took over the program? And uh, could you envision what he was about to do when he took over East Carolina? Bill Lewis, uh, I liked him from the get-go. They introduced him over at Wright Auditorium. I remember it. uh, They were talking about this was – uh, beginning of a n- new five-year program and i kidded somebody i said i'm running out of five-year programs what do you mean look at you now you're still you're still here here in well, 2020 surprise <laughs> uh every day is a good day uh anyhow bill lewis i liked him from the get-go and uh, a nice fella but a good coach a uh, really good coach uh i i, I did like him I like some of the players uh, he brought uh, with him. And uh, I'll be daggone, the 91 team is still a great dream. Uh, what a what a group of a uh, bunch of great players. Just uh, they played like a team. And it started off, of course, with the disappointing, controversial loss at Illinois and then uh, – got on that 11-game magical win streak. What stands out the most when you think back to 1991 and and that team? Uh, They were a team. They played and looked like a team. Uh, I think about the South Carolina game. We finally beat South Carolina. I mean, we beat them. We outplayed them. just every game was was just so good it was unbelievable it was like a it was like a dream come true uh everybody talks about the game the two-point conversion with jeff blake what what was the atmosphere and you, you where do you what do you remember of being in dowdy ficklin stadium that day uh the ending of the game i mean you could still hear the echo of the final whistle and the the field was covered with fans i had never seen that it was it was exciting that of course led to the peach bowl there was so much build up about the peach bowl east carolina nc state and uh everybody remembers a lot of people don't remember dick sheridan went for the tie at the end of the game and uh, the magical comeback okay what do you remember most about the peach bowl uh when they lined up for, for the 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 uh, field goal I thought I was going to have a heart attack. I was sitting in that end zone, and I had to get up. I said, "I can't watch this." I can't remember. Did you? Did you? You got it? Did you leave and go back? I got up and started walking out, and I stopped and turned around, and the ball was coming, and it went off to the right, and I. I I about lost everything I had. <laughs> <laughs> it was an exciting day at uh, Atlanta Fulton County Stadium. Of course, uh, everybody remembers the, the 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 highs of the Peach Bowl, and then uh, Bill Lewis was talking about building a program. And uh, needless to say, he 
he was at home in in Georgia and Atlanta. What was it like when? Uh, what do you remember about Bill Lewis uh, leaving East Carolina after that moment? Well, the whole theme of that season was I believe, and uh, the one thing we didn't hear Bill Lewis say was I believe. He said I believe it. <laughs> and he did, and he went on to Georgia Tech, and that's when the Steve Logan uh, era started. And uh, when, when you say Steve Logan to you, what what does that mean when you think of East Carolina football? Uh, Steve Logan, great offensive mind, a great guy, and a great <laughs> gives a great speech, I swear. He has been up here and spoke to our, our sports club several times and always gives a good talk uh he brought big time football and he signed some great players uh the big boy from durham uh david garrard david garrard you know my first uh and this was my fault i accused I, i in my mind i accused david of trying to do too much but when i went over at chapel hill and saw him drag two uh, Carolina players in the end zone, hanging on him for a touchdown. I said, he can do it. He was a big-time player. Yeah, Logan was known for his uh, quarterbacks, and uh, David Garrard was certainly one. A lot, a lot of fun quarterbacks during right. that time. Marcus Crandall and uh, David Garrard. And, 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 Boy, and, and he coached uh, uh, Blake, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, – he says that Blake and Gerard are two of the best he he ever really uh, uh, coached quarterback. All right, so the Logan era ends controversial too. Uh, well, your, your thoughts? Did did Steve Logan deserve more time, uh, or was it time for him to go? Well, I, I think uh, both he and the administration were getting tired of each other. Uh, it's just, it, it reaches a point where somebody's got to give and neither side was going to give. Uh, they were both stubborn. And guess what? We have to pay for it. Yeah, the fans and the program pay for it. We're talking to my dad, Nicky Ellerby. Uh, huge East Carolina Pirate fans been coming to games since 1959, recapping what he thinks of. And uh, we'll kind of skip over the John Thompson era, really, because there wasn't much meat on that bone. But uh, that that led forward to Skip Holtz, but there was also a lot of the stuff going on at the time. That's when the conference realignment and shuffle was going on. The Big East was was taking place, and East Carolina was probably having some of its worst football seasons at that time in opportune. And, and did you feel like East Carolina was really getting left behind at that point? I did, uh, but I'll be honest with you. I, I went down signing date uh, uh, for uh, Skip Holtz' first signing date, and they were the most organized staff. Uh, it, it was a whole different outlook. Uh, they had the players. They had them uh, film on all the players. They showed us each player uh, uh, that they had signed. And it was one of the most organized uh, things I had been to at East Carolina. And I said, I think this guy is going to do well. And he definitely did prove that. Yeah, Skip did a good job of building a program and uh, getting some great players. And he kept his staff together, too, which I think what really helped his uh, five-year run cap off with those two conference championships. 
and I met I met most of his coaches, and I liked them all, and I thought they were uh, they were really devoted to him and his and their jobs. I always thought the irony was that Skip Holtz was our coach because you were never a Lou Holtz fan when I was growing up as a kid. You you, you had some uh, bitterness towards him when he was the NC State coach and ran the score up on East Carolina. Oh yeah, I'll never forget that. <laughs> Tell us that story. Uh, well, when you kick a field goal and you're winning by 48 points, uh, you kick a field goal to the last play of the game. I ain't got much. <laughs> but I'll be honest with you. <laughs> Politically, I'd vote for him if he was running for North Carolina senator or something. All right. And Lou Holtz, uh, not a fan of him when he was the NC State coach, but maybe a fan of him now. Um, when, when you look at uh, Ruffin McNeil and uh, what, he, his, his, what he did with the football program, uh, w- what did you like there? Uh, wide open. Wide open. I mean, you scored by every possession. You just about scored. Uh, it was a whole different uh, uh, view of football. Uh, just wide open style. Uh, big, big, big scores at all the games. Most of the uh, games looked like basketball scores. Uh, it was a whole new era for football. Ruffin uh, obviously had some some highs. There was obviously some lows, just like with any time during the course of East Carolina history. Uh, same question that I asked you about Logan. Uh, what was your thoughts of the departure of, of Ruffin McNeil when he got uh, let go in uh, 2015? Well, uh, you know, uh, I, I love Ruffin. Uh, uh, I, his love for East Carolina and <laughs> And I never will forget in 76, he made the final tackle uh, over at NC State and saved the game for us. And that's still one of my favorite memories of of, uh, playing NC State. Uh, And now he's working at NC State. Yeah. uh, That part is kind of hard to take, but I understand it. Uh, I'm glad for him and his family. but uh, uh, Ruffin's a lot like me. He was not too good on the administrative part, but uh, he loved his players. He loved East Carolina, and he loved uh, the fans. Uh, he let that be known when he came out to make a talk. Yeah, Ruffin McNeil, one of the most likable, lovable persons you could ever uh, run across in life. And, of course, here we are now, the last five years. I don't have to – dwell too much so it's through scotty montgomery and now mike houston and now with the pandemic and everything but your love of east carolina football is still there through thick and thin you always still come to all the games uh even though it, when it says it's tough to be a pirate but uh, you, you still somehow find a way to come to dowdy ficklin stadium what what are your thoughts of the last five years and the future of ecu football uh the last five years have been tough i don't mind saying and but I do like uh, our new coach, uh, Mike Houston. And I, he's, uh, he has given two of the best talks at our sports club up here uh, in Raleigh uh, that I've ever heard. Uh, you can tell he's a football coach. He loves football. And I, he really cares about East Carolina. And 
I think if there's anybody can turn this thing around, it will be Coach Houston. You've mentioned some players throughout the the podcast here today: Ernest Bonner, Carl Esther Crumpler, uh, David Garrard. If you could start just listing some of your favorite players and any any stories that you can think of of that that plays or during games that stand out, who are some of the players that you think have impacted you over your sixty years of watching ECU football? Uh, I think back uh, uh, back in the Pat Dye era. Uh, Danny Kepley, a kid from uh, Goldsboro, his parents sat, used to s- sit in front of me. And uh, I remember uh, Dick Jones, another fan of ours. He was a big-time East Carolina fan. Uh, we were thinking about trying to uh, uh, collect money to send his Danny Kepley's parents on another honeymoon hoping they would have another Danny Kepler. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of crazy stories from uh, East Carolina days. You've, you, you've been to a ton of the bowl games East Carolina's been to. Uh, I know you almost froze to death at the Arkansas game at the Liberty Bowl. Oh, boy. Uh, you, you were at the Independence Bowl. Was John Wayne at the Independence Bowl when you, when you went? You know, uh, not only was I watching my favorite football team, but I got to see my favorite cowboy star. Uh, I, I, of course, I never met him, but just seeing John Wayne, that was a big thrill to me. Why was he at the Independence Bowl in 1978? He received, they had an award at halftime, the uh, Omar Bradley Award from the famous uh, Army guy from World War II, and uh, John Wayne received the uh, Omar Bradley Award at halftime. And I remember him looking up and waving, and I thought he was just waving at me. But, uh, you know, I, I I love a good John Wayne uh, movie. And uh, that was in December of 78, and that next June was 79, uh, John Wayne passed away. That was one of his last personal appearances was at our bowl game of 1978. By the way, we beat we beat Louisiana Tech that, that year at the '78 Independence Bowl. Uh, of course, we talked about the Peach Bowl. Uh, you've you've been to some other any other fun bowl game memories that or, or away games that 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 you went to over the course of the yeah. sixty years? Oh, there were so many. Uh, the the '91 uh, season at Blacksburg. That was real pleasant. That was the Greg Grandison interception uh, that kind of helped seal the game there. That what was so special about that game? Uh, well, just beating Virginia Tech was special. Uh, yeah, you know they were they were always tough. Uh, once Beamer got they got them rolling, I tell you, they were tough. They, they were, tough. were tough. You mentioned Florida having some pretty rough fans. Do you remember any other stadiums you went to that you uh, didn't really care for, or, or some stadiums that you know what? It was fun to go there and love to go back anytime. Well, one of the great games which you were there uh, was the El Paso game. That was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, that was a game that was hard to even get your breath before somebody would take the lead 
and then it would turn right around on the next play. Yeah, that was the miracle in the mine shaft under Skip Holtz at the Hail Mary and uh, beautiful setting down there at the Sun Stadium, oh, Sun Bowl in uh, El Paso. The boy that came in the quarterback there at the end. Rob Cass. Yeah, Rob. It was like he was born to do that play. He came in and threw a perfect pass. Unbelievable. And kind of one of the special moments was not that I was there with you, but uh, his dad was actually sitting right in front of us and went went bananas like any dad would do if he saw his dad throw that play. (laughs) (laughs) Unbelievable. It was an unbelievable ball game. And uh, some of their fans who was really started off rattling us, giving us heck, but there at the end, they – they congratulated us. I thought it was pretty good. Who do you think the best player you've ever seen wear the purple and gold? Golly, that that would be tough. Uh, well, I'll be honest with you. The guy that started it all big time for us probably was Carl Esther Crumpler. And a super nice guy. Used to broadcast the game, help broadcast the game. Just a super nice fella. Uh, uh, deserved all the accolades he got and uh, uh, had a, 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 a real nice family. And the other guy I'm thinking about is, uh, oh, came to your tailgate. Tony Collins? <laughs> yeah, Tony. I, <laughs> love, like Tony. I love Tony Collins. I too. He's a great guy. And I'll tell you what, old Tony was a ball player too. Now, I think I, you're talking about Robert Jones too, man. Robert Jones. Uh uh, super, and I think he could suit up right now. I, I'm pretty sure he could, and uh, I'd hate for him to hit me. <laughs> what other memories uh, do you think of uh, about East Carolina football that stands out for you outside the stadium? Maybe maybe the tailgating and friendships that you've had over the course of time uh, of coming back to Greenville. I I just uh, the fans. I, some of them were hard to believe. Uh, the the out the 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 away games that our fans went to was unbelievable. Uh, so many times we we would well like the Duke game we'd have more fans there than they did. Uh, so many games I was just always surprised that how many of our fans came to see us play. Yeah, that we really had a rabid fan base there for a while, and things were so much different, and, and things have changed so much of every game's on television now, and you kind of wonder if the importance of going to games, even the home games, is uh, what the future is going to be like compared to where you've been, where it's always been a tradition for you to, to go to as many games as possible. Well, money changes everything. Uh, it's it's a lot different, uh, but I still think we got a great uh, fan base. Uh, I, some of the games here recently, really, really, I, the fan base was the difference. Well, thanks for sharing a lot of memories with us today and uh, recounting all your, your East Carolina thoughts. And uh, I know hopefully, who knows what this year will be like, but uh, I know when the fans are allowed back in the stands, you can probably count on Nikki Ellerby being there. You're right. I'll be there. thanks so much dad you're quite welcome son hey thanks for joining us today our family has shared so many special memories and has made lifelong friendships throughout the years of going to games and watching pirate football 
I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with my dad, Nikki Ellerby. I'm very thankful that I was born a pirate and bleed purple and gold. As we continue to try to figure out what's next for the 2020 season, I hope every ECU fan will take time to reflect and treasure the memories and friendships they have from pirate football and dream of the new ones that will be made in the coming weeks, months, and years. East Carolina University has and will always be a special place to the LRB family. We'll be back very soon with another edition of the Pirate Radio Podcast. In the meantime, be sure to visit our website, pr927fm.com, and to follow us on social media at pr927fm to keep up with the latest news and information. Until then, have a great day, everyone. You've been listening to the Pirate Radio Podcast, an exclusive presentation of Pirate Radio, the voice of the Pirate Nation.